uh, you may have heard that I'm anxious to start um, a new series in 2 Samuel uh, that covers a, a, a great deal of David's reign uh, and, uh, and, of course, some other things in, uh, in uh, redemptive history. Um, but uh, two weeks ago, uh, we were in Psalm 52, and this morning, Psalm 46. Why is that? Well, I wanted to preach a couple of psalms in particular before I got into that new series. Um, Psalm 52 gave great insight into evil men, you may recall. Evil men we will face while we're out there on Christ's mission. And we learned what they believe and why they do what they do. Uh, This gave us a reason to seek help to trust in the steadfast love of God. In light of evil men and what they believe and what they do, we should seek a God whose steadfast love for us never runs dry. We need to develop this faith muscle within us to strengthen us when persecution invariably comes. We need to develop this reflex that God is for us in such times. But so too we need to develop in us a confidence not only that God is for us, but that he's able. And that's why we turn to this psalm this morning. We need to develop a confidence in God's ability to help us, for long and difficult trials can bring doubt. May the Spirit of God awaken in us an unwavering trust in the Lord's power and resources. His power and resources to be our helper even in our darkest days. And I would just ask you, do you believe God will be there for you when your life comes apart at the seams? May your faith be strengthened as we look to his word. Let's do that now. Psalm 46. This is God's word. Pay very careful attention, friends. The Lord speaks to us here. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a thrilling psalm. It, uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it's just the reading of it buoys our confidence in him. The theme I hope to convince you from uh, these short verses is this, that when evil comes, 
we are safe with the Lord. When evil comes, we are safe with the Lord. The psalmist tells us why, and all of the reasons have to do with how great and mighty is the Lord our God. He has unparalleled strength. We'll look at that. He has overabundant supply, and he has undeniable sway. That's the three moves that we're going to make as we walk through this psalm. When evil comes, not just evil people, mind you, but when calamities and disasters hit, those kinds of evils also. When any kind of evil comes, when it comes in any form, we are safe with the Lord. Now that's not a promise that we will never face evil. That we will never uh, experience it. That we will never come to grips with devastating loss and, and grief that even makes it difficult to draw breath. No, it isn't a promise like that. We live in a fallen world and evils will come to us. But it is a promise that when when those difficult days come, when persecutions come and calamities arise, we can run into the arms of our God and find protection there from our heartache and our worry. We can find strength to survive to get to the other side. So listen to me, brothers and sisters. When evil comes, we're safe with him. We're safe with the Lord. We're safe first because of his unparalleled strength. Did you hear me? He has strength that no one can rival. Strength like no other. That is the first reason the psalmist gives in verses 1-3 through that we are safe with him no matter what comes our way. Look at how the psalmist describes God's strength both in the passive and the active here right in the first part of verse 1. Are you looking down in your Bibles again? Soak up these words. God is our refuge and strength. Now refuge is a defensive term. It's a protective place to, to run to when, when difficulty arises. It's a, it's a place to hole up in when danger's coming. It's a, it's a shelter from perilous uh, times. Uh, children use their parents this way all the time as a refuge, right? Uh, Dan came uh, into the church yesterday as I was in my office, and I could hear him with, with Asher, his little son. And uh, Asher likes me, but... He has a healthy, uh, you know, he puts a healthy distance between me and him still. And so when he saw me, what did he do? He, he sort of kind of stood a little bit back around Dad's leg and, and kind of maybe made a little grasp of, of Dan's leg. He, he saw Dad as a refuge, you see, as a defense. A refuge is like a shield from danger, like ducking around a corner and letting a a building maybe take the brunt of a hard uh, windstorm coming your way or or driving snow or something like that. Uh, It's like rolling up your window as you're you're approaching a work crew on the side of the road and there's a lot of debris that's being kicked up, right? Uh, A car window even can be a defense. It's a a defensive thing. That's the, the, the thing I'm trying to get to. But whether dad's leg is strong enough to defend against someone scary or whether a car window is enough protection against projectiles, some machinery shooting up, is not a guarantee, of course. I knew this, uh, I experienced this when I was driving home from Chicago a couple years ago in my Jeep. 
and there was trucks on either side of me, and one of them kicked up a, a rock and shattered my side window. It was like a, a gun had gone off. It, it, it alarmed me so much. But my window didn't prove much of a defense. But God is a refuge that never fails to protect his people. God is a refuge that never fails. He always protects his people. That's not to say that Christians don't suffer illnesses and, and persecutions, as I've already mentioned. They will suffer evils of, of every sort and even great loss in this world. But when we seek shelter in the one who made us and loves us, we find, him, we, we find in him all we need to protect us from danger and suffering that, that leads us to ultimate despair. He helps us, you see, to, to, to find shelter and, and, and wade out the storm and get through to the other side. Many in our church are suffering difficult trials today. I've mentioned a number of them. We've already prayed for many of them. Suffering comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, you see. So how do you seek refuge in God? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great concept, right? But how does, how does it actually work? Some might think seeking refuge to be even cowardice, be running away from your problems even if it's uh, finding refuge in God. But running away from trouble is often the wisest thing you can do, especially, especially when done in faith. Paul warned Timothy of one particularly dangerous enemy. You may remember it. It's, it's mentioned in passing, but boy, it's powerful when you think on it. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. You see, friends, uh, uh, facing difficulties is not throwing caution to the wind. It's realizing that you don't have the strength to face your enemies on your own and to find comfort and shelter in God. While Paul advised distance from this man, he is just as quick to speak of the Lord being the one who will provide the ultimate defense in his judgment of him. Did you catch that? But think also of the Exodus. It's a thrilling story, right? So thrilling, in fact, that it is rehearsed again and again and again all throughout the Old Testament. God delivered his people from Egyptian slavery in the most miraculous and mighty way. It is such a glorious salvation. It, it is the theme. Even in, in, God's, in, the, in the minds and mouths of God's enemies, the Philistines even bring it to mind in 1 Samuel when they hear the great shout from Israel. They're like, These, this is the God that, that delivered them from the Egyptians. But think for a moment about the Exodus. Plagues came, just as God said. And Pharaoh released, finally, finally relented and released the Israelites, only to change his mind. When he saw them getting a distance, when, when he saw them up against the Red Sea, he sent his chariots to go back and get them. Think about that. Think about being on the water's edge with chariots thundering behind you. Drag you back into slavery. 
make you pay for leaving in the first place. It's a difficult thing to get my mind around. That chapter also tells, chapter 14 of Exodus, tells of God's incredible deliverance of Israel through the sea, parting it so that they could walk across on dry ground. Think about walking across, even in that scene, as the chariots followed you in. And they're moving quite a bit faster, and they're getting closer and closer, bearing down on you and your family. It was here that we read of the refuge God was to his people. The protection he provided against the evil that was coming at their heels. Listen now, Exodus 14, verse 19. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. He protected them from the enemy. From what seemed impossible. The whole scene's impossible. And even in this impossible scene, God does yet more impossible protection. Egypt could not pierce God's protection of those he had set his affection upon. That's because those who hide themselves in God discover that his strength is their strength. When the great Assyrian army came to take Jerusalem, God had other plans. In answer to King Hezekiah's prayer, we read of God being Israel's refuge and strength yet again. This time, 2 Kings 19. Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, the great Assyrian empire, the world power of the day. He shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. For I will defend the city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, listen, and that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. You know what happened later? They retreated, and the king's sons killed him. Never to be heard from again. I hope your heart is being stirred up to this reality that God is for us, that he is our great defense. But you might think that these are just some old stories and don't have anything to do with what you're going through today. Sometimes you cannot see past your own pain, but ask yourself this. Is the evil you face today, the pain you suffer today, is it, worse, is it worse than creation coming completely undone around us? That's the example the psalmist gives us. Look at verses 2 into verse 3. We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Can you imagine, friends, everything that you know, everything that you see is stable and foundational in your life giving way? God says, even then, there's no cause for fear because I'm with you. We take for granted that the ground beneath us is solid, right? 
But sin has not only brought evil into human hearts and relationships and judgments, but into the natural realm as well. And so even this world is unstable. The ground was cursed because of Adam, you'll recall. And so the earth is a dangerous place, and we get reports of terrible tragedies, natural disasters all the time. They come in so frequently that they fail to have their proper effect even. Do you know that earlier this week there was an earthquake in, in Turkey and Syria and claimed more than, more than 20,000 souls? Staggering. I mean, we could go tragedy by tragedy. I mean, there are mudslides and avalanches and lightning strikes and great fires and, and all the rest. And what have those taken down in tragedies at sea? That's mentioned there in the psalm. Of course, the death of 1,500 people on the Titanic back in 1912 gives us an infamous example. But what of the five people who crawled into a submersible? last summer to go down and look at that wreckage. I went down to look at the remains of the Titanic. Do you remember the story? Five people. Dad and a son. Some very wealthy man from overseas. The, the CEO of the company that made the thing. And I think there was one other person. Oh, there was a, 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 a specialist that, that, that uh, specialized in, in, in uh, underwater exploration. They descended the cold water in the middle of June last year, explaining they saw a narrow window of decent weather. That's why they decided to go just then. But according to experts examining their disastrous decision later, no one ever went down until the end of July because the North Atlantic is so unforgiving. The cold and the massive pressure and the currents and the violent waves and the unpredictable storms are too much to contend with before the end of July. But they got into this miniature little submarine on June 18th last year and the, and the ocean killed all five people not long after they went below the surface. The sea crushed the watercraft and its passengers. The hull imploded, killing everyone inside. This is the great power of God's creation unleashed. But friends, even if our trials match the undoing of our world around us like that, God remains our refuge and strength. Of course we are safe with him if this world returns to its chaotic beginnings, the, the mountains crumble and the, and the seas go wild. Of course we're safe with him. He is the one that made it and ordered it and, and brought it to a place where he declared it to be good. And he's also the one who keeps it together. Of Christ, the writer of Hebrews, you may remember, says this, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Of course he's our refuge and strength. Who is in control of the world holding together or coming apart? Our God and Savior is the one. The one with that kind of unparalleled power. He rules over disastrous sinkholes and violent tremors and furious tempests. He rules over everything and everyone we need shelter against. What's more, the psalmist adds that God is a very present help in trouble. You see it there at the second half of verse 1. 
a helper. That's kind of a word we use in a lot of different ways, isn't it? For God to be called a helper means he is uniquely suited to give us help in any way we might need it. He's uniquely suited. If we need someone to silence the lies of the deceiver, he's our helper in that way. If we need comfort because the pain is too great, he's our helper in that way. If if we need rest and and someone to give all of our worries to because we can't think about these problems anymore, he's our helper in that way. His ability to keep us until the end, to protect us from all evils that threaten us, to show us unparalleled strength to help us, this is the first reason we can say when evil comes, we're safe with the Lord. Not only can God help in any way we need it, he is never unavailable. He never tells us to wait. He never goes missing. He can always be found to give us the help we need to endure. In Old Testament times, the Jewish people regularly traveled to Jerusalem to, to, to worship the Lord at his temple, to pray to him there through, through the, the, the mediation of the priest, to seek his divine aid there. Even as they would make the ascent to Jerusalem again and again, they would sing songs. Where do we find our help? Lifting our eyes up, right? But following the resurrection of our Savior, he sent his spirit to live within his people, just as he promised. The new temple. We are the temple. The Spirit of Christ lives within His people now. Uh, the, 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 our, our, our place of health, help is no longer a place. It's no, it's no longer limited to geography. God can help us no matter how dire the trouble we find ourselves in, and He's always available to us. He can always be found. So verse 2 commends us, encourages us on that basis. Nothing that can happen should cause us fear. We, we will not fear, verse 2. Rather, we are to go always and often into the throne room of God by prayer, expecting to find grace and mercy to endure every hardship, no matter the great weight of it. Christ was clear that persecution would come to those who follow him, but he gave this ultimate encouragement, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the Lord. Similarly, Christ declared in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, he's greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We live in a fearful place. Evil's come. Our faith is shaken again and again. But there's nothing that should ultimately strike fear in our heart. The psalmist encourages us. Fear God, friends, not our situations, not our enemies. Fear God. Trust him who saved you from the eternal fires of his judgment. Trust him who mercifully called you to be his sons and daughters through faith 
in his son. The martyrs encourage us. The Christian martyrs down through Christian history encourage us at this point. There was a man named Polycarp. He was 86 years old. We think he was the last living person that knew an apostle. He was a disciple of John. And when the Romans hauled him off, when they arrested him and drugged this old man to the Colosseum where he would be thrown to the wolves, he was urged to deny the Lord. And this is what he said. Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The worst that can happen to us in this world is that some evil person kills us or some calamity takes us. That's the worst this world can do. And if that happens, the people of faith are instantly transported into the arms of our Savior in the fullness of joy for eternity. Why should we fear those that can only kill us in the body? Yes, when evil comes, we are safe with the Lord. First, because of the Lord's unparalleled strength as we have been glorying in and, and whether these natural disasters that are listed here at the beginning of the psalm are representative of armies thundering down on you or oppressive governance, governments bringing down your world around your head or whether they're actual natural calamities, the point is the same. No matter how dire our situation appears, we're safe with God because of how strong he is, how mighty he is. This is the psalm that Martin Luther penned the, his famous song, um, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The shield that is the Lord never fails. His right arm that is our strength never wearies. He has unparalleled strength to help us. That's why we're ultimately safe with him. Now, I'm going to be much quicker with these, the second and third reason because they spring out of the first We're safe with the Lord because of his unparalleled strength. We've just looked at that. But now let's consider our safety because of his overabundant supply for us. This overabundance of resource for us when we're in trouble. And also his undeniable sway over those who would oppose us. So first was un unparalleled strength. That's why we're safe with the Lord. Second will be his, un his uh, overabundant supply. And finally, his undeniable sway. Let's look at this great supply of the Lord. We find it in verses 4 through 7. Look at again at verse 4 here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation, that is the dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. She shall not be moved. Now that word moved can be translated toppled. God's city cannot be overthrown. It cannot be brought down. The, the, the Christian Standard Bible says it cannot be toppled. The idea is that some enemy nation, the picture is, enemies of God are surrounding or trying to surround God's city that we are in with him. And they're going to lay siege to it. 
God has promised to protect them as long as they're with him. Naturally, one might think of, of the city of Jerusalem where the temple is. It's up on a mount, right? Where it was. But the details of the psalm suggest something greater even, even than Jerusalem. Jerusalem, for example, didn't have a river running through it, which was a great advantage for a city that was being surrounded by an enemy force. When a city is besieged, its great defense is its ability to wait. Wait behind its walls and have food to eat and water to drink and wait out the enemy. And so the picture is that of an evil power coming against God's people as they sit with him in his mighty fortress. And however the nations rage below, they will not be able to bring down God's people because he is with them. And because he's with them, he supplies them with rich provision. Spiritual protection. So much so that fear is replaced by delight. That those that are with God, even while evil is sort of at the gate, they're glad in God, which makes no sense to this world. Whatever man may do to us, we can savor the delicacy of eternal promises provided for us in Jesus. We feast on what God promises us. As Paul wrote to the Ephesian saints, and as we have sung about this morning in one of our songs, listen to some of these eternal promises that you can feed on as, e as you face evil. Ephesians 1 verse 3, the Father has blessed us in Christ with, are you listening? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. None are withheld. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That he would create out of us a holy people to serve him. In love he predestined us for what? For adoption through Jesus Christ. So that we might have the honor of being called sons and daughters of the Most High. In him we have redemption through his blood. We're bought back by, his, by Christ's blood from our sins so that we might have forgiveness of our trespasses. And on and on Ephesians 1 goes. And that's but one paragraph of, this, of the sacred writ. God's goodness to his people when persecution comes, when false accusations rear their ugly head, when jailers and executioners come, when people call us to deny our Savior, God's goodness that he has promised and we can experience, it is a stream that makes the troubled saint glad. It is the peace of the Lord the world knows nothing of. But only us who live in God's impregnable fortress by faith in Christ. Though enemies of the cross try to destroy our hope and dismantle our faith, it's as if an army came against a city too high, walls too high, up on too high of a mount with too much resource that they cannot topple. They cannot topple what they cannot reach. You know, in verse 1, it said God is our refuge. But, but, the, but the refrain of the second and third 
uh, uh, portions of this psalm, verse 7 and verse 11, now talk about him as a fortress or a stronghold. And, and that intimates a protection that sits high above. You may remember when David was on the run in 1 Samuel against Saul, he was in the stronghold of Engedi a really high place on a cliff that was very difficult for enemies to take him down uh, in, in Saul, right? And that's what God's being described as here in, in our psalm. He cannot be reached. His city cannot be breached. And what's more, the people of God dwelling with their helper cannot be starved out. With God in the midst of her, their resources will never run out. Though legions of enemies will try to bring God's church down, though even the gates of hell shall come against it, the hope of the gospel, the union with our Savior who knows hell's greatest effort to topple God's mighty fortress, those who try to make God and his redeemed fall will only fall themselves. They will dig a pit and fall into it. They will be, they will be the ones whose footings will give way as the Lord issues his command and the earth melts. <laughs> the Lord's sovereign command against them, verse 6. But this is the promise of the God of Jacob, isn't it? He's referred to twice there, verse 7 and 11. He's referred to as the God of Jacob. And he's our God. That God of Jacob is our God. He's the one who we put our trust in. He is the ever-present help of his people down through the ages. Don't forget what Jacob said to his family. I love this. You want to know who, who the God of Jacob is? Let's listen to Jacob's own mouth. This is Genesis 35, verse 3. He says, let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God. What God? To the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That's our God. An ever-present help. A fortress that's too high. A God who has resources for us when we're in trouble that never run out. The Lord has overabundant supplies with which we can wait out our enemies. That's why we're ultimately safe with him. He feeds us with spiritual food, divine promises of eternal delight that strengthens our souls even as the outer man is wasting away. We're safe with the Lord because of his unparalleled strength. That was the first point because of his overabundant supplies, secondly. And finally, we're safe with the Lord because of his undeniable sway over our enemies. Undeniable sway over our enemies. Verse 8, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth, how he has laid waste his enemies. John Stott explains this verse and the ones that follow in this way. I really like it's a little turn of a phrase that's really stuck with me. He noted that the Lord, he noted the Lord 
his decisive intervention for the protection of his people. His decisive intervention. Not just a folly of arrows. Not just a, a battle so that there'll be more battles later. But a decisive intervention. And he's right. What are the works of the Lord? Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. What are these works? What are we to behold? What has God done that we are to ponder and find hope in when evil comes? The psalmist beckons us to look throughout redemptive history, as I've tried to do throughout this little sermon. He says, look at what God has done to silence evil powers. He fought against the Egyptian chariots that followed Israel through the sea and then closed the waters on them forever. He destroyed the Assyrians before they could even step foot in Jerusalem. He caused the Persians to release the Jews from exile by by essentially taking over the mind of the king and then gave them all the resources necessary to rebuild the temple and the city after the exile. Can you imagine? And in the resurrection of Christ from the grave, in the resurrection of Christ from the grave, he took death's sting away forever for those who hide in him. For those who hide themselves by faith in the mighty fortress of Jesus, we need never fear, not even death. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of that. That God has undeniable sway over our enemies because of Christ. He has freed us from our lifelong slavery to the fear of death. He has freed us from the fear of the wicked one. Our God speaks and every creature, both good and evil, snap to attention and follow his command. They either go out of existence, as in our enemies, or or they are provided with rest and peace in him. If we're referring to God's people. Just as Christ ordered the wind and waves to be still that fateful day, here the psalmist reminds his people that the battle is his. We need not strive with our enemies. His victory is brought at uh, his his victory is brought about by his authoritative word. With his ability to take the weapons out of our enemies' hands, we need only trust in him. We need only, look at verse 10 there, to be still and know that he is our God. And in so doing, he will be exalted. He will be exalted not only in the sliver of humanity that is Judah, this little ethnic group. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted throughout all the earth. And one way the message will go forth, one way he will be exalted is our confidence in him when evil comes. So how will you testify of God as your mighty fortress? That's the call today. How will you testify that you are safe with him no matter what comes? Let me encourage you not to waste your trials by trying to weather them on your own or through the advice of non-Christians, or by despairing of hope at all. Numbness is no way forward. 
When God's people are weak, we find he has strength for us that is beyond ourselves. Did you hear me? When God's people are weak and we turn to him, we find that there is such massive strength available to us that we would have never known without it. When God tries us even under the hardest circumstances, we can experience the Savior's nearness and so delight in him even in our hardest days. When we seek protection and spiritual supply from God's hand, we are lifted to such an exalted place, we can even see our trials as blessings. I know this is crazy talk, but this is the hope of the gospel. This is what it means to be with God in his mighty fortress. I trust that's a help to you. Ask God to bring you to these new experiences of his grace when evil comes, friends. When it comes, we're safe with him. He's strong enough. He's got the supplies needed, and he has absolute sway over anybody that would try to take us down. May you see God as your mighty fortress where you find shelter and blessings when evil comes. Take a few moments of just quiet reflection over these truths, friends. What is God in Christ calling you to do? How is he calling you to respond?